morning, guys. Um, I always forget to do this, but if you don't know who I am, my name is Jake, and I am on the pastoral staff here at the Tab. Um, and this morning, I'll be bringing a word to you. Um, if you were here last week, uh, then you know we gather together as a combined family. So the Franklin, the, the folks who gathered down at Franklin came up, and we had a combined service. Um, and part of that service was to celebrate and to send Joel um, off into this next season of his life. Um, it was a great morning, lots of celebration, and it has also launched us into a new season. And I just want to say that I really do look forward to this season with anticipation and excitement, honestly, of what the Lord's going to do among us. Um, I don't think that leadership looks at this as, oh boy, here's this great unknown now and we're kind of scared of what might happen. I think honestly we're collectively excited about what Jesus is going to do among us as we move forward in him. So this morning uh, we're gathered in that way and as I was preparing for what the Lord might want to say to us today, there wasn't a topic picked so it was kind of a pick your own sort of situation and I spent a lot of the week just asking Jesus what he wanted me to speak on. I had a few ideas in my own head, and I think throughout the week he led me to, um, I think, a really good place for us this morning. Um, so if you were here last week, Joel spoke and shared some of his heart for us, and I think part of what his message was, honestly, part of it was a plea to us, like parting words from him as his last morning in that position as lead pastor. And, and a lot of that plea was, if you were here, you would remember to love the poor and to remain committed to mission. And not only so that we can help people, quote unquote, because we do want to love people the way Jesus loves them, but also because when we go out on mission, we find Jesus in ways that we will just miss him if we're not out there. Right, Because Jesus comes in close to the poor. He comes in close to the brokenhearted. He comes in close where the valley is darkest. That's where Jesus is most present. So his message got me thinking, okay, so where do we go from here then? With this commission to remain committed to mission, to remember the poor. Um, as the, the disciples had pleaded with Paul, to remember the poor. Um, and it led me actually to a psalm. I've never preached through a psalm before, um, a psalm, not a song, uh, although some of them are songs. Um, but I was kind of in this place of, okay, so if we're going to continue to chase after Jesus on mission, how do we do that? You know, what does it look like for us? Because if you are in a position where you've experienced oppression in your own life, um, whether it be by family or at your workplace or by empire itself, um, or if you've come in close to the poor and you've experienced oppression through their experience, then you know that any amount of living on mission, uh, Mary was sort of praying into this this morning, but it's going to come with valleys. It's going to come with darkness, right? There will be suffering and hardship. Jesus promises us that in general. He says, if you follow me, Yes, you will have life, abundant life. You will have the fullness of me. You will receive the kingdom and buckle up because there will be hardships. There will be suffering. And thank the Lord that in that suffering, he comes in close to us, right? 
Um, nonetheless, uh, there is suffering and there is hardship. And I am convinced that the more radically we step out to follow him on mission, the more we will find him, the more we will fall in love with him, and the more we will experience the intensity of that suffering and that hardship. Um, and so I kind of found myself in that place this morning. I think this is the theme that unintentionally, like not by my own plan, but this is a theme that has come up a number of times in our corporate worship gatherings in the last season. Just this theme of uh, worshiping from the valley when we're in that valley place. And I just think the Lord keeps leading us back there because for many of us, this is a season that you would define as a valley, right? Not a mountaintop where the sun's shining directly on you and you can see the whole picture and maybe there's some element to life that just feels somewhat easy. Um, we're talking about a valley where it's dark and you cannot see what's around you. Maybe you can't even see what the next step looks like and there could be fear about what could be lurking in the shadows, right? Um, from that place, I think the Lord has been leading us into moments with him where we're lifting our song from the valley, where we're sitting with him in the valley. And I believe it's connected to the fact that um, as long as we remain a family on mission, we're going to remain a family that is continually learning how to worship from the valley. Amen? We want that, right? We want to find Jesus there. And we want to see the light of Jesus shine in the darkness, right? And so I was led this morning to Psalm 42, and this really, I feel like the preachers always say this, but this really was directly in line with Gwen's heart this morning for worship. I didn't say anything, because I just wanted to let the morning unfold. I didn't want to say something that then made her feel like, okay, now we do need to go in this direction. Um, but everything she was sharing with me this morning about her heart for our time of worship, and even the songs that we sang in Mary's prayer, um, man, it, it's all aligned, aligned. It makes me feel like, okay, the Lord really is speaking uh, in this message this morning, in this passage. And so we're going to read Psalm 42. This is the second psalm we're going to read today. We read Psalm 3 this morning in worship. But we're going to turn to Psalm 42. And I would love to just read through the whole thing. If you're able, could you stand to your feet? And I'm going to read this passage for us. It is in the slides, if you could throw that up there. Although it might be a bit small, I'm not sure. Maybe it doesn't have it. Um, okay, I'm going to read it. Holy Spirit, as we read this word, would you open the ears and the eyes of our hearts to receive you afresh, to receive the truth and the beauty and the wonder and the love of Jesus. We lift this up to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throne. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put my hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. 
My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Amen. You can have your seats. So in these seasons where we are in the valley, and maybe you could feel those words deep in your soul this morning. Maybe that's exactly where you are right now. Or maybe you can recall seasons where that was where you were. In these seasons in the valley, I think there are two things. Um, I should say there are two kingdoms that exist in this space. And one is the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness. And in this valley place is where he wants to grab hold of our souls and bring us into this place of despair. This place where all hope and all faith and all love is lost. And then we've got this kingdom of Jesus, this eternal kingdom, which by the way, we already know which kingdom is going to win, right? It's the kingdom of Jesus. And he is coming again, riding on a white horse with hair like wool and eyes like flames of fire and face shining like the glorious sun. We know that his kingdom wins. And in this valley place, his kingdom wants to grab a hold of us and bring us deeper into faith and hope and love. Right? And so in this place where our souls could fall into despair and our, and our souls could also fall into this place of deeper love, like Paul prays, that our roots would grow deep down into the love of God to keep us strong. There's these two things that can happen. And I believe that this author, who is not David, by the way, some of the Psalms were written um, by other folks. And this is one of those, by the sons of Korah. Um... I believe that this psalm offers us a lot of insight into what it looks like to not fall into despair, to not despair in these times, and to lean into faith, hope, and love, and to receive more of Jesus in these places of the valley. I don't think it's an exhaustive list, the things I'm gonna, we're going to look at today, but I do think this author provides us some good insight and some good things to consider as we walk through these types of seasons. Um, the first is that Jesus sits with you in your grief and in the oppression that you experience around you. I'm going to read just, uh, pull something out of this psalm, but my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with him? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? And then later on, my bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? And the first thing that's important to see in this is that Jesus is comfortable to just sit with us in our grief and our oppression. 
And you can see this in the author because he's comfortable writing it, right? Or singing it, presenting it, however this was. I believe it was a song, actually. So it was a song he was composing to be sung. You can see it in there um, that he knows that there is something healthy in my soul when I can get my grief out and my, the things that I'm feeling oppressed by or that I'm walking with someone else right, and their, their oppression is sort of mine, my, their burden is my burden. There's something healthy about me being able to just simply, like, sit with it and sit with it with Jesus, right? Because the reality is if you just sit in your grief long enough and you grieve without hope, I think that that is a one-way ticket probably to despair, right? At some point, hope is completely lost, but with Jesus, there's this healthy thing where we can just sit with him, with the stuff I'm carrying, with the burden I'm carrying, with what's breaking my heart in this moment. I can just sit with him. And he's, I, just, I picture it like just, you ever been in that place where you don't have the words, you don't have the big song to sing, and you're just maybe sitting on the couch, and you're just kind of like, everything that you're carrying is just sitting there. And maybe you're like, you're weeping or you're just sitting silently, but it's like, I don't really know what else to do with this other than to just sit with it. You ever been in that place? Well, I do picture like sitting on that couch in the, deep, in the depths of my grief and Jesus just sitting there with me too. You know, like maybe not saying anything like a good friend would in a moment, right? Like sometimes the best type of friend won't say anything, won't try to pat you on the back and tell you it's going to be okay. They just sit with you in that moment, right? And as you're holding it, it's just there is something healthy about being able to do that with one that you fully trust. And in this psalm, we see that, that this, this, this author is, is, is leaning into Jesus in this way just kind of pouring it out and sitting with it. Like it feels like my enemies are just crushing my bones. They cry out in agony. My tears, he's very poetic about this. They're very poetic about this. My, my tears are my food day and night, right? And they're just sitting with their stuff, but Jesus is sitting with them. And we know, you know, from even simple concepts of counseling, right? Like, if you just keep stuff all knotted up in here, good things do not happen in our souls when things just remain knotted up here, do they? Right? It's only healthy when we're able to get stuff out, process it properly, and then be able, begin to move forward in it. But the first step in that is just sit with it, right? And if you're in that place right now, where you're in that valley and despair could grab a hold of you, but also perfect love could grab a hold of you. Just feel comfortable to sit with your stuff and invite Jesus into that. Like practically, you could just sit on your couch and just invite Jesus. Jesus, just come and be with me in this moment and just sit with it. You know what I mean? Like maybe pour it out in word like this author did, um, but just like acknowledging that which we're experiencing around us and not just pushing ahead, not just moving forward. Um, it's like even becoming fully aware of just how heavy this is for us. Sometimes we don't realize that, right? We think it's somewhat heavy, but we're kind of too hurried to like, and maybe we're kind of scared that if we slow down enough, the, the full weight of what I'm carrying is going to just, you know what I mean? And it's going to maybe feel like it's too much to bear. 
but remember that Jesus is actually there to carry our burdens, right? And when we can fully feel them, when we can fully, like, like um, acknowledge the pain that we're experiencing, the valley that we're experiencing, it's in that place that he says, come to me, you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, right? Trade your heavy burden for the light burden of Jesus. And he says, you will find rest for your souls. So acknowledge and just sit with our grief. Sit with the things that were like, man, I see oppression here. I see mistreatment here. It could be individually. It could be a family thing. It could be systemic. I see it and it's crushing me. Just sit with it. Invite Jesus into that space. We see the author doing this here. Um, the second thing that I pull out of this psalm this morning is that Jesus is the deepest longing for our souls. You know, sometimes when we're in that valley and there's a burden on us or there's a mountain in front of us, what it feels like my soul most wants is to see that burden lifted, is to see that mountain moved, right? If I could just get on the other side of this, like that is what my soul most deeply wants, right? I might experience this if I'm walking through uh, some sort of serious disease in my body, right? That feels like maybe a mountain in front. It's like, I just want to keep going off. I want to keep going forward with my life. And this thing is literally blocking me from that, right? And it can feel like what my soul most wants is for that disease to just be lifted, for that disease to be healed, right? And if it was, if that mountain was thrown into the sea, then my soul would be satisfied, right? And I think what we're seeing in this psalm is that the deepest thing, no matter how high the mountain, no matter how deep the valley that we're in, no matter how thick the darkness is that's closed in around us, what our soul is not most desperate for, it is not most desperate for that thing to be lifted, that fog to be lifted, that result to change. Um, if I'm burdened for my neighborhood, right, like Mary was praying, if I'm burdened for my neighborhood to see violence just crushed in the name of Jesus, to see love come into this place of oppression. What my soul wants is to see the love of God come into that place, but if it was just the result apart from the love of Jesus, it really wouldn't satisfy or fulfill much. It's like Jesus in, is what is in the middle of what we're desiring, and he is what our soul most desires. Not only do I desire for violence to be crushed in my community once and for all in the name of Jesus, but I desire for my community to be crushed under the weight of the love of Jesus. And we see this in this author this morning. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. It's the first thing that he says in this psalm. Sure, my enemies are crushing me. Sure, my bones are crying out in agony. Yes, my tears are my food day and night. But Jesus, as a deer pants after water, my soul thirsts for you. My soul thirsts for you. And I love the interplay with this, which was written hundreds of years before Jesus ever showed up 
on this planet. But later on, Jesus comes and he fulfills this word, right? Because he says, you who drink from me will never thirst again. Why are you drinking from that well? You're just going to get thirsty again. Those who drink, I am the living well of water. Those who drink from me will never thirst again. So we see it. Jesus is the fulfillment of what this person here, this group here, is crying out for. And Jesus is the fulfillment of what our souls are longing for. And if Satan can get us to think that anything else is what our souls most desire, then he can pull us into a place of despair. Because we know nothing else can satisfy our souls. Nothing else in this whole world can give us the faith and hope and love. It is only Jesus, right? And I know we say it all the time, but Jesus, like, isn't just a fun idea or some kind of psychological thing to say to put. Jesus is a living person. And when he is touching the inside of your soul, it does not matter the depth of the darkness around us. If Jesus touches our soul, then there is faith and hope and love in that place. Jesus really is so wonderful. And I know we never want valleys, but it really is true that in that place is often where we get to experience the beauty of Jesus in the ways that are most real to us. Jesus is the deepest longing for our souls. Okay, the third thing um, that I'm pulling from this psalm this morning for us is um, there is this idea of declaring the deliverance of our own souls. So in this psalm, I'm not sure what they would call this, but it's sort of this interplay like we sing in our songs here. Often where you've got like the verse and then you've got this refrain that you kind of come back to, right? We did that this morning with... um, uh, glorious day and I ran out of that grave like we come back to that a few times right same idea here there's a verse that's maybe more a little a little more depth with the words and then we come to this repeatable chorus and you kind of come back to it throughout the song right well same deal here so he 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 pours out his heart and then comes to this place why my soul are you downcast why so disturbed within me Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And then he goes back in, pours out more of his soul. Right? Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Where are you, Lord? Where, where are you? And then again, ends this psalm with, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And there's something really, really wild in this psalm, um, for me at least, when it's like this author is asking themselves a question. Why? Speaking to their own soul. Why are you downcast within me? Why, my soul? And then it's like the author isn't speaking a command over God. He isn't speaking a command over his enemy. He's speaking a command to his own soul. 
put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. It's like as he's pouring out his heart and sitting with Jesus in his grief, as he is remembering and acknowledging that I need Jesus more than anything else, he then turns to his own soul and asks the question, why are you downcast? Why so disturbed? He knows why he's disturbed, right? He just answered it for us. His enemies are crushing him. (laughs) But why are you disturbed? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. He's telling his own soul, soul, you may be going through the valley. Soul, you may be in the middle of thick darkness, but soul, put your hope in God. And he says, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And I think this is really, really, really important for us because we know that for us to actually hope in God, Jesus has to live on the inside, right? can't just muster up hope. However, Jesus, if he does live on the inside, he still put us in charge of our own souls, right? Like, I can't actually just sit down and say, all right, well, I'm pretty beat up, Jesus, so come do something, man. You know, come, come on, do something. Maybe there, I, I actually, there are moments where you've got nothing, right? And that's all you got, and that is good and fine. I've been there. You've been there. But there are these moments where it is our duty and our responsibility to take control and command over our own souls to say, soul, yes, I know what you are going through, but right now, praise the Lord. Put your hope in him again, and I will praise the Lord. This man is declaring the deliverance of his own soul. I think this is really, 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 really important for us guys and gals, girls, ladies, women of God. (laughs) The bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ collectively. This is really important for us. If you are going to come in close to Jesus on mission and you're going to make it through to the other side, like like, uh, the scripture says, run the race with endurance, right? We have to be able to declare and sing the deliverance of our own souls. It's interesting because um, all the songs that we sang this morning, most all of them, really are this. I think the more I, I lead worship, the more I'm becoming convinced that there's sort of almost just, there's three categories of songs that we will sing corporately. I could be wrong about this. It's just a thought, so don't take it as gospel. <laughs> just me. But uh, it's like we have these songs of adoring Jesus. I'm just going to stand, and it's, uh, I'm, I'm singing into this love relationship between he and I. This song we've been singing somewhat lately, this, it's an older song. We've been bringing it back. Your name is like honey on my lips. Your spirit's like water to my soul. Jesus, I love you. I'm adoring Jesus, right? And we've got these songs of exalting Jesus. We sing all the time. We sing songs where we are just lifting up the name of Jesus and exalting him. And then almost all the other songs that we sing fall under this category of singing our own deliverance. I used to have all these different categories, and I'm like, I can't even keep up with all this. But I honestly, I'm convinced all these songs that are kind of like... Uh, the I songs, we'll call them the I songs, right? Like this morning, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. Why do we sing that? I know I'm not a slave to fear. You know you're not a slave to fear. We know we're children of God. So why would we take time to sing that? Not only once, 
But why would we sing a simple line like that 10 times, 11 times? You know, why would we sing um, with just one look, everything changes, I'm captivated, I'll never be the same. Why can we lock onto that? Why would we sing that 15, 16 times? You know, my, my grandma, bless her soul, she's so great. But, and, and not but, she's great and. Um, she, she would always make this joke with me, you know, because she grew up in the age where you sang hymns in church, right? And you're constantly singing out the theology of the Lord, right? There's depth in all these songs. Although some of them do have very simple chorus, choruses that you'll repeat, like, blessed be the name, blessed be the name. Anyhow, she would, she would say, we were singing these in church, we're singing these 7-Eleven songs. You sing seven words and you sing them 11 times. <laughs> and I get it, like, you grew up in a different era. The Lord is moving in different ways as we continue to, like, you know, move toward his coming, right? So he will move in different ways. And if you grew up with a certain style of music in church and everything, I get that certain things are going to feel like home and certain things are not, right? Even culturally, we experience that, right? If I grew up in a church where we sing it this way and y'all sing it this way, I can do that, but it might not feel like home. All of that's well and good. The, 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 but the importance behind these, like a 7-Eleven song, if you will, especially when it's like something simple that we're singing about ourselves. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. Why would we sing that so many times? This is what we're doing. The same thing that this author's doing. We're singing the deliverance of our own souls, right? I know I'm a child of God. I know I'm not a slave to fear, but what about when I hear a bunch of gunshots outside my window, you know, this past week. Or what about, I found out that my mom's got cancer, right? Or that my child is, you know, really struggling with something. What about those moments, right? Is it possible that fear can begin to creep in? Is it possible that I can begin to forget that I'm a child of God and all these things that being a child means? right? When stuff hits the fan, right? Is it possible that I might begin to forget, that my soul might begin to forget that, that I might begin to despair, right? And so I stand here, and I know I'm a child of God, but I'm going to sing this over my own soul. Soul, I am no longer a slave to fear. Soul, I am a child of God. And by the way, he split the seas so I can walk right through them. All right, this is what we're doing. We are singing the deliverance of our own souls. And so if you are in a valley or you're going through the valley and there's darkness around, take a hint from, from this author. Soul, why are you so downcast within me? Put your hope in the Lord. And I do think there is something to singing it. It's not a universal truth here that if you don't sing it, it don't count. That is not true. Sometimes I don't have a song and I just say something, right? Um, or if you're, you know, a, a poet and you're not a musician, it would, or you're not either, it might make sense that you just say it. And that's great. There isn't a one is better than the other. But I do think that there are moments where the Lord is calling us to lift a song. And in this psalm is a song. So what, what, I, what I read for you this morning was set to music. I just don't have music for it, so I'm not going to sing it for you. But he, he set this to music. And there is something about music that is really innately important in us as people. Some people are more drawn to it or other, as, more than others. Some people are more moved by music than others. That's great. That's fine that God created us uniquely. However, music is a really big deal to the Lord. 
you know, we're evidenced by the fact that there's music happening 24-7 in heaven. Dude's got the elders and the creatures singing songs all the time, right? Time isn't even a thing up there, but music never stops. Clearly, the Lord's heart is moved by music. I can't imagine what it sounds like up there, right? But even if you're not the biggest music junkie or you're not a musician or you don't know how to sing, we are created in the image of God and there is something in our souls that is moved by music. For some, it might be jazz. For some, it might be hip-hop. For some, it might be some of the stuff we sing here on Sunday mornings. Which, by the way, there's nothing holy about it. It's just that every, every, every family ecosystem ends up with some sort of a sound, right? So it's not like what the way we sing songs here is more holy than what you might listen to at home if it's exalting Jesus. Um, it's just that every family system ends up with some sort of sound. Um, but in any event, there is something to being, being able to sing the song of my own soul's deliverance. Um, okay. Yeah. I'm just thinking if I want to go into any more of that. Um, a couple practical things on that I'd love to just hit. Um, because I, I think it's, it's the one thing I could say that to myself. Like, I'm a musician, so if you tell me to sing a song of deliverance, I could be like, okay, bet, I can do that, right? But I do understand that if you're not a musician or you're not a singer or whatever, like, you might hear that and be like, okay, great, but I don't know what to do with that. So just a couple of thoughts in that. Um, I think Paul gives us a little insight into what that can look like. Um, he encourages the church to encourage one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And I always thought that was weird because he kind of says to sing to one and encourage one another with these things. I always used to think, why aren't we just singing them to God? But we are. But you know, there also is something in this that when we're singing collectively together, I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. We are singing it to the Lord. We're singing it over our own souls, but we're also singing it to each other, like as a family on mission, right? And maybe I don't have much in my voice this morning because I'm just beat the heck up. But the person next to me is like lifting up their song with boldness. I can almost ride on the wings of what they're singing, right? And so there is an importance in singing together. But psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but it's three different ways, honestly, that we can lift up our own soul's deliverance. The first is psalms. Very simply, we are singing the scripture. We're singing, it's quite literally scripture set to music, a song of praise. Lots of times our corporate songs are literally lines ripped out of scripture and put into a, a new melody, right? Um, or there could be space to just make up your own song. But we're singing songs that are scriptures. So if you don't have the words, open up your Bible. Go to the Psalms. The Psalms are full of songs that you can latch on to, just like this one. So lift up your psalm, then lift up your hymn. Your hymn is basically, that's the, that's the written songs that we're all, we're all familiar with, right? Every ecosystem has their set of songs that they're familiar with, right? Um, and so we know them. We sang Glorious Day this morning, right? Like that's a hymn for us. It's a song that we're familiar with, that we know that we can sing, right? Go to those songs. Everyone's got a song, right? Or a song for a season or a group that you really are drawn to. Um, 
you don't have the words, pull one of those songs up on YouTube at home, right? Or just come hungry to sing it on Sunday mornings with your church family. But we're singing just written songs that are full of truth that we can just declare to the Lord. Then there's this spiritual song category. So he says, Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. I'm going to read this one um, because I don't want to mess it up. A song, and I cannot pronounce the word in the original Greek. Um, It is used in the New Testament of spontaneous, impromptu, or unrehearsed melodies of praise, not merely sung about or for God, but to God from a spirit-filled heart. Spirit-inspired songs minister to God and exhort others, giving testimony about the living God to other worshipers. And so if you ever wonder, like, why do I and other worship leaders will sometimes be like, hey, just lift up your own song. Let's lift up our own song to the Lord. Or we'll sing something kind of, you know, we'll finish the song and the music will continue and we keep singing. And honestly, you might wonder, like, why? Um, you know, when I first, like, started hearing anybody do anything like that, that was my question. I was like, why? I kind of grew up in a church where you sing the song, clap, sing the next song, clap, and that's, it was awesome. It was awesome. So, but when I heard somebody else doing some of this more impromptu stuff, I remember sitting back being like, I don't know what to do with this. And you may be in that place, and that is totally fine. Just know that this is why we lean into this. Because there is... I mean, I could obviously say, oh, you've been commanded to do it. But I want you to see the heart behind it. Paul says this because there is something to it. Yes, we can sing direct scripture. Yes, we can sing songs that other people write, you know, that I can latch on to. But at the end of the day, like, both of those things are still scripted for us, right? Yes, scripture is total truth. And these songs that we sing are, they should be always theologically accurate. I think the ones we sing here are. But they're still scripted. Someone's handing you a script that, yes, your heart can latch on to. But there is something to be going a little deeper and saying, okay, I just want to lift up what is purely in my heart right now. I like how it said the word unrehearsed. We're not looking for perfection in this. The, the goal isn't that you come up with something that rhymes or that sounds good. Who cares, man? If you're in a valley, who cares what sounds good? Like Joel said the other week, you're coming in close to the poor. I don't think they care if it sounds good, if it looks good. They need Jesus' love just like we do, right? So who cares if your song sounds like a radio song or if you know how to rhyme or like the point is that I'm getting what's in my heart as the spirit is moving in me. I'm lifting that up to the Lord and you are singing it to him. And just like A father would be super proud of his four-year-old daughter because she wrote her own song and it sounded like garbage, but he is so proud of it, right? And it sounds like music to his ears. If you're a father, you could probably relate to that. I'm not, but I can still picture it, right? That's what the heavenly father's like with us. Any song you lift unto him, dude, it doesn't matter what it sounds like to our own ears. It is music to his. Um, And... So lifting this song, we're singing it to him. We're encouraging, you can in moments, encourage the room around you. Maybe you have something to release that somebody else needed to hear or needed to latch on to. And lastly, we are singing these songs over our own souls. Um, and so, yeah, just keep that one in mind too. That like there are moments for you to go off script or sometimes... Um, 
like we'll use the phrase like going worshiping off the page, right? If the page is what's already written, we're going off the page. Why? Because we want to go into this place of spontaneousness with the Lord where my heart, the rawness of my heart can just come out to him, right? Or if the spirit is revealing something to me, a melody or a, or a word, I can just turn and release it out into this atmosphere of worship that we're in, right? So it may be uncomfortable. It may not be your thing totally, and that's fine, but there is purpose in it. I do encourage you, like, man, there are some Sundays where, uh, especially if I'm not, like, leading, I'm just kind of, like, singing, or some worship gatherings where um, I'm so thankful for that written song because I kind of come in and maybe I'm a little cold or, like, I'm just not there, quote-unquote, if you know what I mean, like, as far as worship. But that song kind of pulls me back in, right? Again, I'm singing the song of my own soul's deliverance. Maybe my heart was hard 10 minutes ago, but I've been singing about the faithfulness of God with my family on mission, and all of a sudden my heart's soft again, you know? Pulls me back in, and then it's like, okay, I now, I just need to get some stuff out before you, Lord. You can speak it, you can sing it, whatever, but like going from that written song into this place of spontaneousness with the Lord, there is real beauty that happens there and your soul is being delivered in that place. Sometimes you just need to shout. Like last week, I'll just be honest with you, last week in our worship times, there were a few moments, you remember Christian, if you were here, Christian came and led worship with us and he kind of even just started in this place of like, let's just praise the Lord. And we lifted up this kind of sound and it was loud enough that it just made space that I could just shout and it wasn't super weird because if I shouted now, it would be uncomfortable, right? But it was loud and I was able to just lift up this shout from my soul and I'm not kidding you. Like I didn't realize how badly my soul just needed to shout last week. It did, like, so much deliverance happened in my soul in that one shout. I'm so serious. And I just believe that in these places of the valley, there might be moments where all you've got is silence. And I also promise you that there are moments where whatever's in your soul has got to come out, guys. It's just got to come out. Lift up that shout, right? Like the Israelites lifting up the shout outside the walls of Jericho and those things came down. Like there is something happening in your soul. Your soul is being delivered. And by the way, I do also believe that when we lift these songs, those walls that we want to see come down out there on mission are coming down. There's only so much our hands can do out there. There is something to exalting the name of Jesus and lifting our shout in this place, not this building, you know what I mean, gathered as the family of God that does lead to those walls coming down right? The Israelites didn't lay a hand on those walls at Jericho. They marched around it like the Lord said, and they lifted their shout and blew their trumpets, and every brick came down. So I know we talked about that one for a while, but I, this is just a really unique thing about this psalm. There is something to declaring the deliverance of our own souls. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And lastly, I just want to remind us um, something else. Uh, the last thing I guess I pulled out of this psalm is that, yes, we are singing our own songs of deliverance. But guys, know that the Lord is singing his song over you too. 
we aren't the only ones singing. Deep calls out to deep, and the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me. See, this psalmist is remembering the moments where the breakers and the waves of the love of God have swept over them. They're remembering it. By day the Lord directs his love, and at night his song is with me. When you're in that place at night, and everything uh, feels like it is falling apart at the seams, and it feels like it's one of those moments where I'm sewing on mission, but it's like, God, is it doing a darn thing? Is anything changing? Jesus, when what I read in Psalm 61, that you're going to rebuild the foundations that have been torn down, and you're going to give beauty for ashes, when am I going to see that in my streets? When am I going to see that in my neighborhood, in my community? Right? In that moment where it just feels like, man, like you're just in a vulnerable place. Despair is lurking at the door in that moment to come in. Stop hoping. Stop loving. Stop having faith. In that moment, the Lord is singing his song over you. The Lord directs his love by day. At night, his song is with me. And I think the last thing in this psalm for us to do or to remember in these moments is to give space for the Lord to minister to our hearts. It's what he longs to do. Yeah, he wants to hear your song. I know he does. But honestly, more than that, he wants to sing his own songs of deliverance over you. And if we participate with that in any way, it's that we're simply giving him the opportunity to do so. We're simply giving him the space to do it. Corporately, I'm a big fan of this. It's why I always want to create space in our set so we don't just sing song, 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 song. Because yes, I want us to lift our song, but honestly, we just need to breathe a little bit and let the Lord minister to us in those moments. And those are always the most powerful moments. If, if you leave a worship set or a worship time feeling like, man, the Lord was there. For me, at least, it's never like when we sang that chorus, he was coming. It's like, no, when we gave him space, the Lord just came in. And when you're alone and you're not gathered with your family, create space. Just let the Lord sing his song of deliverance over you. He's singing. He's reminding our souls, hey, my promises are good. Those foundations are going to be rebuilt, right? I'm drawing all men to myself. I took all your sicknesses and diseases on my shoulders to the cross. I anoint your head with oil and I prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. I'm with you in the valley. And by the way, all of my goodness and my mercy aren't just following you. They're chasing after you, pursuing you all the days of your life. And you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's singing his songs over us. So anyway, these are some really awesome things in this psalm that I think can give us some 
some hope and some perseverance to keep going, to keep, if we're going to follow what Joel pleaded for us on his way out the door, he'll be back, but you know what I mean, in that position, to keep, keep going on mission, you know, to keep loving the poor. If we're going to do it, and we're going to do it full of his love, and we're going to succeed, and we are going to reach that finish line, and by the way, we're going to do it with friends and family, then we need him, right? So, that's it. Who's coming to close? All right. Thanks, Pastor Jake. Couldn't ask yourself to play the last few minutes there, could you? I was struck by two things uh, as Jake brought that word. One's a verse, one of my favorite, um, John 16 and 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The other piece I kept hearing is if you've been around us long enough, it's, a, it's our language. Um, we often refer to invitation and challenge. Um, and we tend to aspire to play in the place of high invitation and high challenge. And, you know, Jesus tells us plainly, we're going to have trouble. The challenge is high. If we're loving the poor, we're going to face challenge. If we're following him on mission, it's going to be pain and suffering. But the invitation is high. He's a, our loving Savior. Um, yeah, so you can imagine uh, that invitation and challenge, sometimes we do that in training. There's like a quadrant, and you could be low invitation and low challenge. And, uh, you know, we kind of welcome being in that place of high challenge because we know Jesus' invitation is there and he walks with us in our pain. He sits with us. Uh, so that's what I got. Um, if I could ask the prayer ministers to come up as we close, I'm going to give a benediction. This is just a reading out of commonprayer.net and I would recommend that to anyone for your part of your reading uh, it does focus emphasize loving the poor um, and worshiping in the valley so let's close with this Lord give us the audacity to live as though we believe our hands and feet are instruments of prayer may the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Amen. Go in peace. If you need prayer, please come up.